Well, it's a dynamic duo, we'll be back again. Nothing back with DJ, you better pack it in. You're lacking sense. Trying to tangle with us, scoop up a big black booties in the back of the bus to smack you. You're stealing your lunch, money to search. Ready to feel like just a touch. Only by the end of the day, that's understandable. What can I say? You got strong man to be. Mind, mind, So of course we um, we put off our recording by a night just so that we could uh, we could record after the Celtics closed out the Heat and uh, we could do a proper finals preview like professional NBA podcasters. And of course, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Butler had to drop forty-seven because Jimmy Butler does not go quietly into that good night. He's not here for that bullshit. So here we oh, are I- in a position where we don't quite know who's going to be the Eastern Conference uh, representative in the finals, but it's not like it's going to fucking matter. The the heat, the heat are an absolute mash unit, right? And every like I, I listened to a lot of pods in the last couple of days that were like, "Oh, the Celt, the Celtics would be you know close to favourites against the Warriors." I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding?" They're struggling to beat a Heat team, which while feisty, isn't exactly at full strength. Like, and the Celtics of, are also that, very injured. I mean, the, I mean the Heat yeah. are extremely injured, but the Celtics are also very injured. And going to seven games is not going to make that any less. Uh, of a thing, um, I mean, th- there's a couple of reasons why. I mean, but we'll we'll get to probably talking Heat Celtics at some stage, but uh, we can skip to the to the ending, which is the Dubs are going to beat whoever comes out of this series. One because they're sitting at home chilling mm, while these two yeah. teams are beating the shit out of each other. But secondly, uh, we were working on the theory that the Celtics were going to win this series because after that apocalyptically shit house performance that the Heat put in uh, in Game Five. Where they, they got outscored by a couple of NHL teams, I think. At that point, we thought, okay, the Celtics are, got, Celtics are going to come through. But the Celtics have not seen anybody at any stage in the, in the Eastern Conference for the entire year that plays the way that the Warriors do. I mean, they've got it. They're very, very good at playing against these fucking four on the floor pub rock teams. The, the yeah. fucking, the, the heat and the, and the Bucks, and as the cliche runs, the Warriors play jazz. There's improvisation that you can't predict what they're going to fucking do on offense or defense, and that's not what the Celtics well, are set up for. There's been a lot, and like in the dark days of the Warriors, when Warriors Twitter and a fair chunk of the media were like, you know, St- Steve Kerr is is just being stubborn. They should just go into this real heavy pick and roll diet for Steph, you know, get the, get the ball in Steph's hands a little bit more. And Zach Lowe was just adamant. He's like, look, you know, they're not winning now, but they're never going to win now. But when they get their full side back, the beauty of the Warriors is they present something that teams don't practice on day in, day out, all the fucking time. Like everybody runs pick and roll to now. uh, There's a bit about pick and roll. I want to get to a bit later on, but uh, everyone runs pick and roll to some degree, right? So you have at least some experience of defending it, but no one's caught what the Warriors do. No one's got this whirling dervish of guys back cutting, handing yeah. off, running again and again and again, making independent and, decisions in the middle of the game. Yeah, um, and like 
you know, people talking about the Celtics are going to, you know, have the best defensive. Okay, it's a lot easier to defend Bam when Jimmy's on one knee and Tyler Hero isn't playing and Kyle Lowry's a shell of himself. And also but, Bam when Bam is terrified of everybody. I mean, Bam has played what, 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 Bam has played like he's been terrified of Robert Williams. He's been playing like he was terrified of Grant Williams. I suspect he'd be playing like he was terrified of Vanessa Williams, Hype Williams, yeah. the ghost of Frank Williams. You know, anyone you could fucking drag it. He's generally just been, you know, refusing to go to the fucking hoop in, in, in a lot of these yeah. contests. And that's been, you know, th- that's actually been tough. And it feels like that's what Joel and Beat is trying to engineer here. He would love to get down there to Miami in the sunshine yeah. uh, in some sort of trade for, for Bam and other parts. And Bits. Well, their other, their other parts are pretty thin. But, like, e- even game five, right, Curry didn't shoot it that well. But but Clay got hot, and Curry just has such an understanding of his gravity on the floor. And so, as soon as Clay hit a couple, every time Curry got the ball on any sort of break, he's just flaring out to the opposite side of the floor to to Clay, knowing that at least one guy is going to check him really hard, and the other guy is going to shade off him because you have to. And Clay's you know semi wide open and set, and Curry fires him the ball, and it's you know then it's thirty eight points later and. Like, what, what do you do when they've got three guys that can just rain fire on you at any given night? Like You do what Marcus Smart so did. That- you try and take Steph out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Defensive player of the year. This is literally the only reason I can f- I can see that he got that award. Yeah. Um, I I do not have much optimism for the Celtics. Like, but, but you also do not want that much optimism for the Celtics because no. they're the Celtics. Yeah, for for all that we say, the Celtics as a bunch of players and their coaching staff are very admirable. I still want to see the Warriors win. I still think it's it's just an absolute fucking finger to all the you know uh, a- analytics is bullshit. Uh, Jump shooting team can't the win. NBA. Yeah, all that, all that, that, that stuff. Is, but also like, the, the you know the, the, they're done now. They're cooked. They're never coming back. Mm. Particularly, yeah, I mean, it, like. J- Draymond, Draymond is like uh, he's like a trash talk historian, right? Because he he dropped the line after that finals. No one's ever beaten us when we're healthy, which is absolutely a shot at Doc Rivers's, you know, Celtics teams claiming that no one ever beat us when we yeah. had help, you know, because they lo- they lost Kendrick fucking Perkins once finals and didn't win. It's like, dude, you lost Kendrick Perkins. You didn't lose prime KD with a, with a torn Achilles. Um, he, he's, he's just like a connoisseur of trash talk, that guy. Like it, even to the point where, which lots of people pointed out, even the Heat players sort of semi-seriously pointed out the, the fact that he was like, oh, we'll absolutely be facing the Celtics in the finals. And then, like, four Heat players came off the floor and said, thanks for the motivation, Draymond. He's like, hey, you, like, you, you guys win. I'm sitting at home resting up. You guys lose. I still look like a genius. How could I lose? I can't lose from that statement. It's also, it's an elimination game six. How much motivation do you need? Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's just hilarious. Um, I, I love players like that who lean right into the, performative aspect of of the NBA while they're still playing in the NBA. You know, n- none of this sort of milk toast, you know, hey, I did it for the yeah. team. It reminds me of that late show Tim Watson sketch where he's like, fuck, you know, I was awesome. Pity about the rest of the fuckwits on the <laughs> sides. 
Actually, I think I think um, Sheeds, both teams played hard, my man. It was the perfect example of the, the bullshit quote taken to its ultimate extent, where he just literally answered every question with, both teams played hard, my man, both teams played hard, just repeatedly over and over again until they stopped asking him stupid questions. Mm. I, I did feel a bit of deep, deep sadness watching the Warriors do this, though, because I just feel like, our window was one and a half seasons and now it is firmly, firmly shut. Yes, but the Suns um, shut the window on themselves and managed to break a couple yeah. of fingers in the process. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? It seems like it's, it's you know, it's that institutional, um, I don't know, culture like, you know, uh, my wife's institute is going through a little bit of a, uh, a culture refresh, shall we say. <laughs> There's no polite way to put it. And I'm just like baffled that with all this corporate sporting and, you know, business world culture stuff sloshing around that, you know, places like the Suns and other institutions can still get it that fucking wrong. Yeah, but it depends who's, um, It depends whether they're doing it. Yeah, why like, why o- are they leaving? In, ownership. Yeah. Ownership and leadership are, are interesting questions. And it depends why is that person doing that? You know, why have they gravitated towards leadership? Anyway. Um, yeah, the dubs. And like, the, I, I sort of went into this final series thinking this is like a really nice refresher course for them. You know, they'll probably go out in the second round, but they'll remember what it was like to, to sort of be a finals team. Clay will get a, a year of, you know, an off season of conditioning in. The young guys will be a year older and they'll just come back and, and destroy, you know, destroy worlds next year. Well, they still might do that, but they also might win a, a ring this year as well. See, so. I, I thought the opposite. I thought, you know, every year time is running out on them. They need to win everything as soon as they fucking can. Yeah. There was an interesting little quote about, you know, we talked about Steph's conditioning last week and how he's probably the best conditioned player in the NBA. And I've been thinking about this this week from a coaching perspective, like what, what I would do, because it really felt like a, a couple of teams – so th- this leads into the other point I want to talk about, which is, you know, this every second day um, schedule that the NBA is on, which I do actually believe has damaged the quality of the games simply because the games are so fast. I don't think that's the reason the games have all been shit. I don't. I don't think that's got very much to do with it at all. Well, hang, hang on. I'll, I'll just go back because, like, the, there's been a lot of you know. Uh, the game isn't any, you know, the game was harder back in the day sort of talk from a few old guys this week. Yeah, and but, but what they say, what they really watched, mean is the game was more violent back in the day. Yeah, the more the more violent, definitely. But there was this really cool YouTube video I watched this week about pick and roll, the way the pick and roll has evolved, right? And they sort of went back right back into history when it first started. And then the, the, the video sort of really takes off with the Stockton Malone pick and roll, right? Because they were the guys that, that mastered it, you know, that really sort of weaponized it and used it as a weapon. And then it went into the Nash pick and roll and sort of onto the modern pick and roll. And the interesting thing is you watch the Stockton Malone pick and roll and it's two guys inside the three-point line, three guys on the opposite side of the floor, just standing there, absolutely having a rest, like a two or three minute rest, right? While Malone comes up, sets the pick, rolls to the basket, and then, like, even when they go to the pick and pop, it's still two guys, and then they go... The perimeter guys have have all the fucking gravity of an asteroid. Yeah, and then they go through, like, they go through to what Dallas are running this year with Donkic, right? And they show this set where 
one guy comes up and sets what they call a ghost screen. So he comes up basically to where he's going to set the pick and then just sprints out of the pick so that Donkic can then sort of run into the second pick that's the stagger screen. And then down in the corner, the other two, other three players are running a double stagger screen for a guy to sort of come around into the corner three-point position. And it's like no one gets a fucking rest. Every time they run this set, there's five guys absolutely like – and, and this is in a, a, a an offense like the Mavs, which is considered a slow, methodical offense, right? This isn't the Warriors, everyone cutting and running around, but it's still five guys running fucking sort of 20, 30, two or three 20, 30-meter sprints every single set. So if you're Chris Paul or like an offensive player that used to just go and chill in the corner while two dudes ran a pick and roll in the 90s, you absolutely can't do that. You got to chase a guy around a screen, and then you got to chase another guy, or you got to switch. And like mentally, you've got to be aware the whole game. And that's where I think Steph has this sort of not so secret superpower, but it's a superpower that not every NBA player wants to have. Is that dude is just fucking fitter than everybody? <laughs> like he can run that over and over again for a whole final series. And he knows that the deeper it gets into a a seven-game series, like the more he cuts, the harder it is for those guys to stay with him. You know, that that space is opening sort of four or five centimetres a game and it's just more demoralising. You know, you've just been chasing this dude for seven games or five games in this case. And it it just must break your brain after a while. And they've got two of those guys because Poole now – Poole sort of is, you know, a, a, a mini Steph. Like he runs the same sort of patterns all the time. It's all the time. It just must be exhausting. And they're making fifteen million dollars every playoff game. So you know, it's uh, it, it's it, yeah, it's, it's great. Right. It's great to see some underdogs get some wins. <laughs> there was um, there was a lot of chat about oh, where where's Jimmy been the last two games? And someone said like, you know. Dude sitting on a couch scarfing Cheetos should probably not be, you know, commenting yeah. about a, a guy playing through a probably a pretty bad knee injury and then still still managing to put up forty two points in a game where it's a win or go home. And like, Kyle Lowry got twenty odd and looked like he was dying for every single time yeah. moment he was out there. He looked like he was sort of staggering around and then suddenly he'd have the ball and he'd, he'd put moves on people. And he might have been foxing a little bit, but. Uh, that took everything they've got, which makes me think that the Celtics will probably oh. close it out in Game Seven because I don't, I don't think they can do that twice. I'd love to be wrong, but, but I just don't believe it. I just, I just don't believe it. Like I, I don't actually think it's his fault because he's dealt with some injuries and some personal. It's stuff not anybody's year, fault. It's a shame that this is going to end. I mean, the the bubble year ended a little bit like this against the the Lakers, where they just the wheels fell off. They just didn't have it anymore. Uh, and it's happened kind of around earlier this time around. But yeah. well, we t- we talked about that in the bubble season, right? We said, you know, what what happens when Spo gets like a fully weaponized squad? You know, when he rolls into a finals with everyone fit and all the chess pieces available to him, and you know, all the different moves that he can make. Like, yeah, but without hero and 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 Strauss not being able to hit a shot, like it's sort of limiting to what Ethan Strauss. Do. I didn't know he was playing. I, I, I thought he might be joining Levitan eventually, but Strauss, Max, Max, Max Strauss, Max Strauss, or as do you as- not think the the Heat culture way is like pushing every fucking marginal advantage and and, stre- and stre- you know squeezing the the fucking juice out of every lemon, um, 
does does not that mean you're always you know so highly strung like a, a fucking two-stroke MotoGP uh, 500cc Grand Prix bike that you know things are likely to go ping that you're never actually going to oh, until they they get a team that isn't built from that's right that, that, they, they until they actually get more more resourcing they're not going to be able to 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 yeah. not get to this point of the season and have the wheels fall off look at look at their st- look at their starting five they have two guys that on any other side would probably be playing for their G League affiliate yep. and like that's the thing like they have to like turn those guys into absolute physical beasts but like you said that if you if you get to that point of conditioning and like i find this with my training now is like if you push too hard that you just break like you get yeah. to a point and break so if you want to get to that really ultra ultra that ultra also fit, applies mentally too look after yeah, yourselves you, folks th- there's that there's that there's that fine line where it's like well, if I train today, I am gonna like I am gonna get there. But am I gonna break today? Well, let's go and see. And like I always pull back. Like you know, I'm old now. I always pull back from that point. If I feel like I'm at that point, I'm like, well, don't train today because if you break, you know, you could be off for three weeks. But these guys can't do that. They sort of right have to go right to the red line. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what's gonna happen. Um, Miami's a, a really interesting um, sort of test case of of maximizing your talent in, in the NBA because that they've had these two really good runs in the last three years, but you there's no way you would put them in the top five, top eight squads for talent, do you reckon? The number one team in the East. I know. <laughs> and you're right. I, you're right. They're not – they shouldn't be there on talent. They, they shouldn't be – they shouldn't have even been a, been a home seed on talent, but it sounds like Joel Embiid was right. They need a star. They need a, they need another star around Jimmy, but uh, that's that's not how heat basketball works. Yep. Um, so it'll be a shame because I think the, the Warriors will go through both sides like a knife through hot butter. Um, the, the Celtics because they're a little bit beaten up and they've had two massively intense seven game series in a row, and the Warriors have just sort of you know chipped away. If the Celts had done it in like five. Yeah, it might be a bit different. You'd probably feel differently about it. And that, I mean, uh, Udoka has done a tremendous job as a coach. Um, I mean, I heard arguments that he'd outcoached Spolster, and it's probably, you know, it's it's certainly at least a wash, if not if not in favour of uh, Udoka for a lot of it. I mean, after all, they have won all those quarters, which has been the most tedious fucking uh, narrative. But the number of quarters that the, the Celtics won and yet lost were behind in so many games. I hadn't realised that that's how we were ranking this shit now. But Ben McMahon had a really fun theory about uh, someone should go and get Derek Favors this off season because you know you get the um, he's one hundred and ninety six. Yeah, but you get the OKC bounce. You know, Chris Paul goes to OKC, makes the finals. <laughs> um, Al Horford goes to OKC, probably will make finals. It's like oh, go get Derek Favors next year. See if he, see if the OK bounce, OKC bounce is real. No, I think it ended at Kemba Walker, didn't it? Yeah. It, it it didn't quite end at, at Stephen Adams. I mean, Stephen Adams was doing okay. That's that's yeah. the thing though. We are really waiting for the the um the heavyweight battle that will decide the finals. Al Horford versus Kevon Looney. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much sort of it. Like Luca is awesome, but do I don't know? Do they just need more parts around him that can yes. run for seven games? 
Like, like, I get. I guess. Do you need? Do you need more really good role players, or do you need another superstar? I, I think is the argument um, there. Oh, like, I reckon. I reckon. Uh, so, more, I'd like. I mean, do what. Um, I mean, depends on your opinion of Middleton and and Holiday. But I feel more like complementary parts, much as they've done with the Bucks, uh, yeah. is probably the way to do it. When you've got a. I think anybody else who's going to need the ball is not going to work. Well, well Holiday and Holiday and Draymond are a great comp, right? Real tough-assed guys, good defenders, winning attitude. Don't necessarily need the ball all the time. Like th- that's they need that guy. Trade for Ben Simmons. Now is can Dorian Finney's? Yeah, well, that's p- perhaps. You um, you want somebody who can do everything well, else who sh- doesn't need the fucking ball? Shall we have a brief sidebar about the Nets, who basically were like, "Well, we've had enough of your shit, Kyrie," but now Durant's not answering their calls, and it's like, "Oh man, this could really go sideways." Like, what's Durant going to do? Did they, he can say trade me all he all he likes. Like, he's got three years left on his deal, doesn't he? This is what happens when you put fucking narcissists in charge of shit. There's a reasons they there is a reason they put grown ups in charge of teams instead of players. Yeah. See, th- this is the thing, right? Like, I think Sean Marks has gone. Look, Kevin's going to be really upset with us, and then he's going to come back, and we're going to have a functional player playing at point guard for 82 games. That's going to take some pressure off him, and he's he's going to go. Isn't this nice? Isn't this really nice? Where a guy turns up to work every day? Because I just I cannot see Kyrie ever playing. 70 games again because the, it's not just the Vax thing. He went AWOL for two seasons before that where he yeah. just decided that he had more important things in his life. Now, I've got no problems with that. If you decide there's more important things in your life, that's fine. But if you're Kevin Durant and you're still trying to win another chip, you can't rely on that guy. Yeah, that I guy mean, needs to play for the Sacramento the Sacramento Kings. Kyrie, or- Kyrie's loyalty is to Kyrie, but the problem is that that yeah. does fuck up the people who work for him, who work with him and work around him. And if I'm one of the people who yeah. work with him, I'm going to be a bit, pissed, bit fucking ticked off with it. And I'm going to make decisions uh, in accordance with, with how I feel about that. But, I mean, Sean Marks is, is absolutely doing the right thing. It's clear that he and Joe Sy have figured out how they feel about yeah. shit. And they're like, no, 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 no. This doesn't, this isn't how this shit is. So I wanted to run a little theory past you, right? If you were a coach of a team, say Dallas or Denver, like like a team that had finals aspirations. Does it have that, to start with D? You no. Know, the dubs. Dortland. Um Dortland. That that wanted to prepare themselves for the finals. Would you look at the schedule, right? Where you had a seven game run of um games sort of where you had a couple of back-to-backs, you know, like a, a really hard seven-game run and sort of treat it like a, a mini final series to prepare yourself for this run. Because it seems like teams start to run out of puff in game four or five and run out of like, I don't know whether ideas is the right thing, but like, you, you know, do, do they really game play practicing that move and counter move and, Let's let's pretend that that uh, Luke is out for this game, and we have to run everything that, like Brunson and. But I you've don't know, got you've just, got the entire season to do that shit. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, would you? But would you pick a seven game? Oh, I, th- I thought you meant like it, the last seven games of the season, because I think the problem is that you never really no, know no, where no, like, like you never know where you are, look, and the, the re- season is so important. Often you need to make sure that you get to the place where you can feel like you're confident of being there. 
before you can do that sort of no, stuff. You no, are reminding I'm, me a bit I'm of of the, of the different approaches because the Champions League final is on overnight. People will know the result by the time that uh, they listen to this. And um, Madrid and Liverpool are in diametrically opposed circumstances. Madrid sewed up the title a few weeks ago, so they've been able to kind of pick and choose Correct. and, you know, pick their spots in, in La Liga games and decide, you know, who to play and who not to play and uh, kind of game plan ver- various circumstances in the way that you're talking about. Whereas Liverpool have, ha- have had to go full throttle the whole fucking time because they've been trying to beat um, Man City to the title and, and we'll probably be about 10 minutes away from doing that. So if you're given the opportunity to do, to do that, do you deliberately, you know, try super hard uh, with the risk that you will actually cook yourself in those games where you were trying to kind of battle test yourself for the uh, for the business end of the season or do you just taper down and, and do as little as possible so you can you can make your run at the right time see it's interesting clay's second injury right because the team that that um that the warriors put together for last season with Kelly Oubre and who else that had they had a couple of other players that basically couldn't play in their system right that didn't have the intelligence to move the ball and do the dribble handoff stuff and cut and all that stuff. Like if Clay had been fit last year and they'd run that and sort of been middle of the pack, it might've been a lot harder to pivot. Like they, they basically ran that like a, a chemistry experiment and went, Oh, we can't have those guys. We've got to go out and get Otto Porter jr. And um, uh, here's the, uh, here's the Slavic guy that they've got. Ah, but you know they went out and got a certain type of intelligent role player. You know, for for all Bogut is a bit of a bogan. The dude knows how to, you know, how to. It, it, he's got good court vision and, and and is an intelligent style of player. You know, he's not looking to just ISO and get it and get his numbers because he's and, not capable of it. Yeah, but but th- there's a self awareness, I think is what I'm talking about. And so they pivoted and got rid of a whole bunch of guys that didn't have that self-awareness and went and got a whole bunch of guys that did. But they could only do that because they tried, you know, a bunch of guys they thought might be sort of semi-stars like Kelly Oubre and went, oh, no, no, that's not for us. Uh, Yeah, I don't don't know. The, The idea of using the regular season to sort of war game out certain parts of your roster and try some things rather than just cruising through and and trying to you know win every game you can is is intriguing to me I guess yeah but you need to have a team that has a an inherent margin before you can do that sort of stuff yeah I mean w- w- which yeah. team could have done that this year well right? the, the suns, suns right? yeah and they didn't they just they just you could have traded in maybe five of those wins for some more experimental circumstances well campaign's the perfect example of that because he was injured and struggled. So finding an alternative to campaign, whether that's through a trade or, you know, some, but having something to be back up there. But they basically went, well, we'll just ride Chris Paul and Booker uh, or, you know, we'll ride the rest of the team and campaign will come back and be the campaign of last finals. And he wasn't. He was fucking hopeless. And then they had, you know, when Chris Paul broke down or wore out or whatever happened to him, he they had pulled. no plan B. They had... He Chris Paul that they had, um, you know, they had no sort of backup because. But there is no Plan B if Chris Paul's Chris Paul's because Chris Paul is how you get there, and Chris Paul is how you leave. You know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, the Suns are just depressing me. 
almost I almost bought a Denver shirt today and was like, no, 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 come on, stay strong. It's, it's, it's like a shitty rebound relationship. You know, they're just gonna they're gonna treat you just as bad as the one the person you're on with. Yeah. Well, we had a, we had another one of those, uh, you know, institutional front office, um, you know, poaching when when the Lakers actually made a good decision and and, and hired the Bacon Man. Hey, they um, got it, ordered in some ham. Yeah, feel, so, feel bad for him, but uh, oh well. mate, he got four years. Don't feel bad for him. He got four years. I was just like, you he'll get, get that money. He'll get, dude. Pa- he'll get paid to go away at some stage in the future. Like if you if it all goes pear shaped in two years, you get two years of absolute. And no one's going to blame him if it goes bad. The Lakers are so have such a bad institutional reputation now that he won't get blamed, even if he's terrible. And and he you know the most important blamed. thing is that you know the Lakers being a cheap ass operation, he would be the cheapest option they had. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's been there's been a bit more light shed on that, but I mean, the Lakers' only business is being the Lakers, unlike a lot of these basketball yeah. teams that are all you know Mark Cuban for these smug head on fucking Shark Tank and um, you know all even. Even fucking James Dolan, you know, his business isn't playing in a shitty blues band. He, his family makes a shitload of money through a cable company. Whereas uh, the Lakers' only business is being the Lakers, and that's why they are a fucking corner shop operation. Yeah, that's why the Clippers have Ty Lue as coach. Essentially, is like, like you know, the the, the Clippers are a tax write-off really for Bormer. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, like well, that's how they are for most of these billionaires. You know, the, the team is is a it's a hood ornament. It's you know, instead of playing golf on the weekend, I have a basketball team. Hmm. It was interesting the the Timberwolves, like because everyone roasted Denver right for for um, you are definitely easing into this. I'm the I'm a, the fucking Denver ultra fan thing because you're. Continuing your forty seventh consecutive week of being incredibly defensive about Denver and imagining slights against them. Oh no! Like well, when you say everyone roasted the, Denver, nobody talks about Denver, so I'm not quite sure how why anybody would have roasted oh, Denver. No, I, no well, one, I, no one is aware of their existence or gives a fuck about them. I saw, I saw a bit of chat around it. Um, you saw some fucking but, flutes on NBA Twitter talking shit. But Minnesota did what you would do if you're. A rod, and you have shitloads of cash, and you want to become better. They they basically made him an offer he couldn't refuse. They gave him equity in the fucking team. For- Speaking of hood ornaments, A rod is the hood ornament on that fucking thing. It's all about his the other dude. The other dude's got all the money. A rod is just like it's like Dwayne Wade yeah. in Utah. Yeah, well, that, that's probably not a bad play, right? For for an NBA team, if you've got a high profile ex sportsman. There, who's supposedly the guy that has your point of view, you know, that really understands what you're going through. You know, he's not just some rich billionaire. He's been in the trenches. He knows what it's like to be a superstar. I, I think that's not a bad idea to have as your sort of high-profile second owner. Um, yeah, you'd think that, but uh, yeah. Derek Jeter, who's much more of a, a legitimate star than A-Rod, yes. um, he tried that with owning the uh, the Miami baseball team, and that went catastrophically poorly. Well, but, but is isn't that the isn't that the key? Right, is you get you you partner up with someone that's actually made lots of money being a businessman, and let them run the yeah. Well, he, he was he was the, the front person of the same sort of thing. It was yeah. Well, I guess you got to just find you just got to find the right businessman or the best or a better team. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, well, Leeds managed to um, avoid relegation. Yep. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, well, it's always better. It's always better than, you know, because the last time you got relegated, you disappeared for 17 years. So uh, it, it's always yeah, better that's to. True. It, it's always better to avoid relegation when you can. Yep. It's probably going to lose their best it's, player to Barcelona, which is, you know, indi- oh, in- indicates really? how good the player was. Rafinha, the the Brazilian, is probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I, did, I didn't real, I didn't realize Leeds had anyone that could. <laughs> yeah, that's the remarkable thing about Leeds is they've had some tremendous footballers, and yet they still fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, that's depressing. Anyway, uh, you got any other sporting take stock? Oh, quickly, I did want to talk about the um, about the indigenous jerseys for the NRL this year because, like, oh, oh, I've been a little bit. Um, not critical, but I, I sort of feel like a, a lot of these indigenous jerseys are like a, you know, a corporate brand washing. Yeah. Um, you know that they haven't really like committed to it or leaned into it or consulted anybody, like consulted the players or anything like that. Because I mean, that's yeah. At, at least it, when, when the BBL it, did it, they got you know um, Dan Christian's team got him to him and. Uh, an indigenous member of the women's team to, to kind of lead the design operation. Now they they might not have done much, they might not have had much to do with it, but they at least um, you know they, they at least had input. Like there's there's six six or seven jerseys that I would genuinely like to own. Um, I like the Warriors in, one. In, it's it's really good. Oh. Uh, I love the Penrith one. I actually quite like the Cronulla Sharks one. Like. You know, yeah, I just I saw that one because they're, they're playing next. Uh, but th- as I watch it now, and, and same with the Parramatta one. It's like, and you I can get- like Cronulla again because every time, every time your man Skoma appears on a, on a big screen in any sporting event, he's getting booed until they they switch the vision. So Cronulla is back. It's good again. Wolf Howl. The, the South one is not bad. The St George one isn't bad. The the, the um Roosters one is. Yeah. It's okay. weird how the eastern suburbs aren't that in- interested in Indigenous affairs. The Wests one is excellent, uh, but the the Broncos one is like they went all out. They they are like let's make something that does not look like a Broncos jersey at all. It just looks like a piece of Aboriginal artwork. And but they also have the advantage of, of having that you know golden ochre color scheme, which which is yeah built for um, yeah same with yeah same with the ti- the tigers sort of have that that advantage yes, as well. Don't yes, they? Um, but no, it, it is nice. The only problem is when I was watching the I, I saw a bit of the the game, the Warriors Knights game before, and um. Newcastle had an okay one, but of course there's this massive fucking NIB logo right in the middle of it. You'd think, why don't they ever consider the fucking the fact that they have to have sponsors on this somewhere and figure out a way to integrate them in a way that it doesn't look like it's just been NIB are censoring your indigenous jersey. I know it. It almost looks like you know we would play and you know after a while if you'd played for a side like my social team where you just had you know. You had the same jersey for like seven years, right? So you forget that someone's got a number, and you, and so you end up with like four people with the same number, and you just take, you know, put a bit of strapping tape across it to make yeah. it two hundred and eleven or something like that. That's what that 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 Newcastle jersey looks like. It's like, could you not do the NIB logo? In red and white, yeah. just for this, or at least just white. I mean, I know companies are incredibly precious about their 
their branding. Like uh, I remember, I, I worked for a like, Fortune 500 company once, and the the rules about they had a simplest fucking logo. It was almost like it was, you know, written in fucking aerial black. But it was like everything, like the amount of white space you needed around it, and what you could do, and what you couldn't do, and how you could, and and even universities are like this, you know, even government departments are like this. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, ha- have a look at the Parramatta one or the Cronulla one, where it, it's blended into the into the like even the South one, where yeah. they put the MG in the middle of it, and it looks like things are spiraling out yeah. from it. Like that's pretty smart. Um, yeah. You'd think the you think the, the corporate branding people could could put their OCD away for a week because it's the the benefit they're going to get is going to be greater. They're going to have a lot more people buying that jersey and wearing it around the joint. Yeah, yeah. I, like, man, if you could buy if you could buy some of these without the sponsors logos on them, like just as clean jerseys, I'd I'd be down for that because some of these are fucking beautiful bits of yeah. artwork, right? Well, yeah, it, it is almost uh, a shame they have they have them. <laughs> the sponsors, I know they have to pay. For, yeah. They have to pay for these things somehow, but yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on that lovely night, shall we uh, wind up and come back and talk some tunes? We should do that. This was Paul's podcast. I was Doc Hibbs Beza, and we will talk to you again next week. See you, folks. See ya. Gary has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. Still doesn't know. Good pod, dude. Good pod. Didn't even cover the fucking hockey league playoffs. Full disclosure, I watched more NHL games this week than I did basketball games. Partly because there were more of them on, but also because uh, the Oilers-Flames series just sucked me in completely. They scored 45 goals across five games between them. Like, it was just ridiculous. I've never seen that, that before. That was just amazing. Anyway, so ends our NHL coverage. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. I had some thoughts this week. I never have thoughts. I find them terrible. They get in the way. It, it's funny the, uh, like, even coaching, like, little kids football just, I don't know, there's, there's something about coaching every week that just sort of wakes your mind up into thinking about coaching and thinking about ideas. Um, Kerr really has really been able to give the middle finger to all of the people that were like, oh, you know, you're so dogmatic and, and you know, you, you what you're doing, what you're doing is not flexible enough and you need to change with the NBA. He's like, no, fuck you guys. We, we knew what we were doing. Uh, here, stick this up here. Indeed. But it does help when you have Steph Curry, I guess. Uh, yeah, and and what's left of Clay and what's left of Dre and 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 the next generation of kids who have turned out because they're good at this. That's that's the scary thing, right? Is they got two, and you know whether Wiseman turns into anything or whether they can flip him and turn him into something. Um, that that's what sort of scares me about the Mavs is. Do they have the institutional knowledge to be able to uh, go and find someone in the second round that can turn into Draymond Green or Drew Holiday or, you know, someone in that space? I don't know whether they do. Well, that was why that um, was that interesting pickup that the Blazers made, but they hired Mike Mike Schmitz, the ESPN draft guy. 
to be uh, basically an assistant GM, which means now, and apparently, you know, all these ESPN guys were saying, oh, he's he's a, a you know a, a really good at his job, but he's an even better person. I was like, oh, that's good. Now they've got one decent person in the entire person building. In that's good. Yeah, it doesn't quite make up for their insane fucking artifact smuggling, sexual harassing owner and, and their probable rapist coach, but, you know, great. One by one, I suppose. He, he's a... um. Yeah, he's a really interesting dude. Like, not only does he, um, you know, he seems to be like one of those draft guys that's just across fucking everything, but he went and coached, assistant coached like a big three team or something just to get reps in coaching, you know, so he could understand what coaching was like. You know, even if it was at a, a much lower level, like to get his head around what coaching was like so that he could relate to coaches. Like, yeah, that's that's a very interesting mindset. That feels like something he did in order to become more employable. It was like he yeah, pretty like much it. thought, now I, I'm, I'm, my next move is going to be into, to, into the team environment. Of, it's yeah. going to be out of the media environment. Yeah. Yeah, like the, he obviously wants to not just um, – uh, yeah, he doesn't want to just be a – a draft guy forever. He he wants to actually go and put a practical application. Now, well, that must be hard work. Place- that must be really fucking hard work being a draft guy for ESPN or oh. for anybody where you've got to be across. Right. Like, I mean, even fucking, is it um, Sam Vichesny who's, who's based himself yeah, in Melbourne? Dude. Melbourne, yeah. And he's basically he's just one of these, and, you know, they've got to travel the world. I mean, I see him tweet more about AFL football now um, than, than, about, than about basketball. Maybe he's going to be an AFL draft person. Be a lot cheaper. Well, th- that's that's the other thing, right? Is uh, like, ha- has anyone applied? Uh, like, has AFL ever had someone of the Mike Schmitz or Vassini <laughs> level? I'm sure they do it on a smaller scale. But the problem is that yeah. what you because they're drafting kids who are at school. Essentially, you've got to go and hang around in a lot of fucking schools. I mean, I know there's be a lot of talent that's never found because it's playing, you know, in the fucking Pilbara, in 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 country, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah like that's like why they the, concentrate the on of- on you know who's playing in the in the the whatever the Melbourne equivalent of the GPS, you know, the the, the flash private schools of Melbourne, you know, and, um, and the VFL sides. That that's like yeah. So the, the the version of Mike Schmitz in the AFL is like. Traveling through the north, rather than going to a whole bunch of college games or like the Euro League or the NBL, he's like going to Thursday Island and and I don't think they are. That's the thing. I think that all they're doing is going to fucking is going to grammar and seeing them play. You know these places playing each other. They they do have that. Um, like I think there's a couple of big sort of you know national schoolboys comps where everyone from all over the all over the nation gets together. So, um, so the equivalent of the McDonald's All American. Yeah, I guess so. But you know, that's where the ultra athletic guys from Alice Springs just fucking, you know, carve the private school boys up. Into, you certainly hope so. Chop suey. Uh, and that was our, de- our dissection of the AFL draft. <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> we can we can drop that in. I don't know. When's the draft? November? I assume it's after the everything else. 
Because they do all their they do all their um, off season shit like in a week. They have like a trade week after the end of the season, which I think is a better way That's to do right, it than rugby man. league does. You know, it creates more more oh. more column inches at a time when you want them rather than in the middle of the season like rugby league does. And it actually is it's more disruptive than anything when they, the way that league does it. Hmm. Um, I am quite excited. I would love. Oh, we talked about this last week. I, I, I'm really excited for the draft. I reckon there's the top three and then there's like a bunch of guys from eight to 15 that absolutely could be better than the top three. And depending on how much they're disrespected in massive inverted commas, like, or, you know, whether they go to Sacramento or the Spurs, like, you know, the guy that goes to the, like nine is quite a good pick for the Spurs, right? Cause you, you're still going to get, a really talented guy, and then you're going to drop him into a really good situation. Same with OKC. Like even even um, whoever the Pelicans get at eight. Like if you go to the Pelicans, you're straight into a side that is going to be pushing for that seven eight seed next year. Um, like that's that's a and, and with a pretty good coach. So yeah, I don't know. It just feels like um, it feels like there's a lot of potential for good middle of the draft. And like we've had a couple of um, really sort of strong professional. Like, look at the, the the all rookie sides this year. Like that that second um, all rookie side was nuts. You know Herb Jones and Giddy and um, who's the guy from from the Bulls? Like that, that that's a that's a legitimate NBA sort of level team that you could put out on the floor. It wasn't yeah, like a, a bunch of – You get starters now. Yeah, that's a, that's not a bunch of guys that are playing four, five minutes a game in garbage time. Like those, all those guys were guys that were making a difference in the NBA in their first year. Like that's nuts. That's a fact. Anyway, maybe I've got to get excited about the draft because – You've already given up <laughs> like on the fucking Suns. My excitement. I've, I've given up on the Suns. And you better hope that nobody plays for Arizona State. Oh, fuck. No, we'll be back to him like selling seven second round draft picks for cash. That's 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 how I see. Anyway, all right, Doc. I'm gonna go and eat some rum and raisin ice cream and go to bed. <laughs> it is a tradition like no other. <laughs> There's your show title. We'll talk to you again some other time, folks. See ya. See ya. All right, boys. Satisfied.